You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 485, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. And I'm your co-host, Nick Schroeder. How's it going, Brittany? I'm doing quite well, Nick. I just got finished with CrossFit, and I (laughs) took a risk. So I'm going to tell you the workout that I had to do. I had 20 minutes to do 99 burpees, 99 calories on a rower, and 99 wall balls. And most of the people in the gym broke it up into small sets. And I'm a lunatic, Nick, and I thought it would be a really good idea to try to do them all in a row. And I took for granted how awful 99 burpees can be, even though I truly love burpees. How would you have broken it up? Well, wait, just to break it down, I know what a burpee is. What are the other two? What's the middle one and the last one? What were the Yeah, so using like a concept two rower, getting in, like accumulating 99 calories and then a wall ball for, I'm a woman, so it is shooting a... 14 pound med ball at a wall nine feet high. For men, it would be 20 pound med ball hitting a 10 foot mark. They're awful. Wall balls are absolutely awful. Is it like a basketball or just a squishy ball? It's a squishy ball. And yes, Nick, I have definitely been hit in the face. (laughs) Oh my God. Like that sounds like concussion central. Like you just ricochet. Imagine the force those things have. It's like a weapon. It really can be. If you're not paying attention, that's like why I'm so like fascinated with like looking up the entire time, which is very tiring. So essentially everybody in the class was doing these like small sets of like nine burpees and then like seven wall balls and they would get on the rower. But I know myself and I will absolutely meander in the transition. So I was like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do them all in a row so that way I can breathe, but I'm not trying to move quickly from station to station. And... Essentially, I almost finished on time. I had 12 burpees left. I'm fairly proud of myself, but kind of begs the idea of trying to crack the algorithm. You're like, how can I go faster? Just trying to find that math in there, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I got to say, dear listener, Brittany and I are not in the same time zone, which most people may know. And so we recorded a very nice time for Nick. But right now it is... 8, 19 a.m. where Brittany is. So you've already done this oh, in yeah. your day before the podcast. You must just be like, I'm very envious of people who can do that. And maybe I need a few tips from you as to how I get so much more accomplished in my day before I'm at my keyboard. Yeah. Truthfully, Nick, I am absolutely useless at night. I go to bed around 8 39, but I do get up at like 4 50 a.m. So I'd probably be a better European, to be honest. So. Yeah. <laughs> The times we get up that aren't massively different. I think I'm a bit more of a stereotype. Maybe as an adult, I should have a better sleep schedule, but I definitely do the stay up too late, sleep in too late problem that you see. And particularly in tech with distributed teams or remote working, you can mess with your hours. A lot of us have gotten away with it for a lot longer, right? Mm-hmm. But no, it's to how I break it up. I'm not sure, right? So I've never done CrossFit. I think my health stuff's better, but it's less formal. So Where I live right now, there's a 250-acre forest next to my house. So I go a lot out and just walking around up and down the hills. And I got to tell you, so for the other side of the spectrum, during COVID, I was very lazy. And just even just walking lots and going to the driving range for physically related activity is a huge difference. Like when I just go out in the town and I'm walking around as Nick in, say, restaurants or bars or something... I just feel better as a person, not even doing proper workouts, just lots and lots of walking, right? So I'd break that up. I don't know. I think I might, now that I have your information, I possibly do a different approach. I'd 
Man, the rower, though, it kind of begs doing it all in one go, right? As opposed to doing 10 calories and jumping off of it. Well, it's the mentality too, Nick. Maybe this, it's just like how you approach life. So for me, I approach everything in life where I do the hard bit first. So like to me, the wall balls are the worst. And so those were the things that I wanted to do first. And that essentially how I approach cooking and programming and managing. I've always just had that mentality of I want to do the hard bit first. So that way I can enjoy the easier stuff towards the end and know that I can really go pedal to the metal on the easier bits. And I think that's just how I approach everything. Do you feel the same or are you the opposite? I think, yes, there is overlap in in the rest of life. So this is what I'll ask you. If you had a dinner, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that you would eat this, but on your plate was peas, mashed potatoes and sliced chicken breast, maybe with some gravy. Would you eat all the peas or would you eat a bit of everything? All the peas. I would eat all the peas, then all the mashed potato and then all the chicken. So this might be a spectrum because I think I would be tempted to eat most of my greens just right away, like all the broccoli or all the peas, whatever, and just boom, it's down. And then maybe I'd mix the mash and chicken. So this is an interesting thing that I never noticed till my partner is very different. It's a bit of everything on the fork every time. And also, and it's very frustrating when when someone sees someone else, because she'll see me just eat all of it. It's like, what? Now it's gone. Now you can't have the symphony of flavors in every bite. And I'm like, no. Things are different. I eat the different things, right? I used to be so bad growing up that I would peel my sandwiches apart and eat them in layers. And then all my siblings would. My mom had to pull me aside and was like, Britt, you have to stop doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine like at a conference and like the in the general dining area and that everyone sits down? You're like, hey, and you're meeting everybody. You just sit there and start dissecting the sandwich. It's just like, here goes the bread. I imagine you'd eat the bread with the sauce on it or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of conferences, you are headed to Rails World as our representative for the Ruby on Rails podcast, which is amazing. I'm super excited that Buzzsprout picked us. So, Nick, we've got a ticket to give away, don't we? Which is pretty exciting. This is like a hot commodity. Yeah. Just for the record, if people are listening, I sometimes listen to old podcasts. So if you're deep in the future or if you weren't on the radar with Rails World, which is fine. So two things. One, it had the normal breakdown of tickets, which is early bird in general. And a lot of times early bird will be like three, four weeks or a month. And then general will be like three, four weeks a month. And eventually they'll sell out. This was early bird until the early bird's gone, then general. And both cents. So every single ticket went in 45 minutes. Wow. It's not the biggest conference, but it's not the smallest either. I think it's what, 600, which... Mm-hmm. There's plenty of conferences. I'm not comparing, but there's plenty of big conferences that would be less than 600 sometimes. I'm trying to say for the listeners, there are people who were on that day saying, couldn't get a ticket, I couldn't get a ticket, and you're still hearing it. They're hard tickets. I can't remember the last time a ticket was really hard to get. In my Ruby archaeology, I've seen it before, like Ruby Kaigi 2003 sold out in an hour. But yeah, so it's we've got one. We've got to give it away. That's uh, We've been very, very fortunate that we applied and we were selected as a podcast that can record on site. So there will be Rails World shows. I will be there if the travel fate is good to me and all that. I always get nervous when I travel. <laughs> uh, and if the recording fate and the equipment fate and all that. But we are intending on recording some shows there. So I'm looking forward to sharing that with everybody. But yeah, we've been talking about 
how to proceed with this ticket. Yeah. So this episode comes out on Wednesday, August 30th. And so we know that Rails World is coming. It's early October. So we want to do something unique. We're going to start out probably on Twitter and Mastodon with our idea that we're about to talk about, but we want to make sure that we communicated on this episode so that we had a couple days for our listeners to be able to apply for that ticket as well. But because Nick is going to the conference and representing this podcast, we wanted to make sure that it would benefit the project that Nick has been on the show talking about. And so, Nick, what are you thinking? Yeah, that's right. So I've been talking about Scarpe quite a bit, but Scarpe really isn't the star. It's Shoes, and Shoes is the desktop application development DSL that Why the Lucky Stiff developed 16 years ago. And it allows you to build a desktop app in Ruby and two or three lines. And then you can add more lines if you want more things to your app. And Scarpe, which is at github.com forward slash Scarpe hyphen team forward slash Scarpe will be in the show notes is our implementation to make it work again in 2023. Got a lot of feature parity. You can currently build a lot of different types of shoes apps using the Scarpe gem. And for this, we are going to ask anyone who can, obviously you have to be able to make it to Rails World, by the deadline, September 2nd on the Saturday, if you can submit a shoes app that runs, we will run it ourselves. And the best one, our favorite from the Secrets Ruby on Rails podcast panel, will be selected to get this ticket to Rails World. And if you need help, right, this will already be done by the time you're listening to this. We will have support documentation. It should be pretty straightforward. So you can copy, paste, and get to Hello World and go from there. There's also a Discord at joinscarbay.schwad.org. I did the redirect, so send you to the Discord. And we will help you as much as you need between now and the deadline. And yeah, the, the best shoes app will get a ticket. So there you go. I love it. Thanks to Honey Badger, I have all kinds of sources to back what I'm about to say next. The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There are so many ways for startups to lose money. Downtime certainly should not be one of them. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That's every single minute that you're down. A monthly subscription with Honey Badger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy-to-use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which of course helps you stay in business. Best of all, Honey Badger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at honeybadger.io. That is honeybadger.io. Thanks to Honey Badger for supporting the show. So Nick, I'm assuming that they can submit like a public GitHub repo, a GitLab repo, a public Bitbucket repo, any of the like, as long as it's a public repository that they're submitting, you're going to be able to access it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll have a Google form for you. You just include the link. And honestly, a lot of shoes apps, most of them I build are one file. So you could do a gist if you want as well. If there's any instructions we need. So for example, since it is a desktop app, maybe you do shell commands that only work on a Linux machine. Since it's pure Ruby in a shoes app, you can add any code you want. And of course, in Ruby, you are allowed to do shell commands on whatever system you're on. So if you have like a button, but that button does something that only works on a Mac. So you do back ticks inside of the method, right? And you write CD this or echo this 
whatever, you can just let us know what was required for it to run. And yeah, so just or any public repository and we will get those graded. And obviously we'll get your contact details if we have any questions. And Nick, what if someone is just like dying to be on the podcast and they're already going to be at Rails World? Do you want them to reach out to you, possibly to book some time with you? What are you thinking? So I think potentially we might have slots filling up earlier and before this. But listen, I love to meet people. If there is a slot that can be done as well, I know it's limited slots. That would be great. So if you'd like to be on, reach out anyway. And if you'd like to say hi, reach out anyway. I will not be jet lagged for once. It's a 90 minute flight from my town in Belfast to Amsterdam. It's the shortest probably conference journey I will ever do in my life. So I will be really excited and eager to do the hallway track and meet with people and talk to you. And yeah, we're trying to hopefully get a few episodes in as well. So absolutely. Love that. Well, I think we're starting to see stuff like coming out of just Rails core, kind of like leading up to 7.1. I don't know if you have inside insights, Nick, but it sounds like 7.1 might get launched at Rails World. I don't know if you know that for certain, but it seems like we're starting to get closer and closer to 7.1. I formally have absolutely no knowledge I could share publicly about that. (laughs) I love that. There was a Rails version released about 10 hours ago, though. Oh, well, there you go. So get on it, people. If you haven't done it already, it's like 7.0.2 or 7.0.7.2 or something. It's one of those patchy ones, but yeah. Okay. Did you just call it a patchy one? Because I love Oh, no. It's a hyphen patch or a space patchy. Yeah. Patch-esque. It's not a minor version. It's not the one we're talking about, no. Okay. But we are getting there. You can start looking at things. Obviously, things like deprecations don't get locked in until the release candidate or the 11th hour. That's up to the core team. But you can start looking at some things and features. And I'll tell you the one I am so excited about for people working on legacy applications. It's like a free win. I love free win features. Mm -hmm. And it's Rails routes, which... Imagine people might be familiar with that command, but it lists the routes that you have. Yeah. And you can grab it, but there's Rails routes, hyphen, hyphen, unused. Well, so you can kill any potential routes that you might have that, let's say you inadvertently left a route open that exposes data without authentication or something like that. So like just really cleaning up that routes file, because you're right, Nick, I am a heavy grep user whenever I'm using Rails routes, which by the way, trying to break the habit of rake routes. And we've talked about this before. It's been really hard. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. Hashtag I'm old. But (laughs) I love the idea of just deleting unused code in general. So that is a very cool feature to be adding. Yeah, at the very least, it's dead code, right? Mm -hmm. And I've already been looking at running things against main a lot for just fun and life. And that's the first command I run on anything. It's like, you can even do that today, right? You could just secretly update to main branch and run the command now if you wanted to have a little... Well, because if you're working on a legacy app, then your routes file is like 10 trillion lines long. A human can't work that, but it has the knowledge to know if there is an action in a controller that's linked to that. If there's a setup in the back end that is tied to that route, because you could delete everything, but either. And it's not even so much. It's just from a dead code perspective. You want your routes to RB to be really clear and correct. And it's honestly, it's easy for it to get out of hand, right? Absolutely. Now, one thing that is public 
is that I'm actually very thrilled by this change because I've never been able to pronounce the project correctly. I think it's MERSK, unless it's MRSK. Never been sure, but it just got renamed to Kamal because a certain shipping company kind of rattled Basecamp and said, hey, we have to protect our copyright. And so you need to change the project name. This feels very Lotus Hanami, if we remember when that transition happened. Wait, so basically, because I thought it was always like a nod to the shipping company, right? And I, yeah. so, I, said to I don't know about this at all. I missed the complete story here. Kamal is something that I have to spend some cycles looking at. So they got a nasty gram from the shipping company. And yes. so they had to change the name. I understand that. What's the deets on the name now? How is it spelled? Because that makes me nervous when someone says a name and it's not implicit how it's spelled. At least to me, it's not implicit. Nick, buckle up because it gets a little confusing. Okay. <laughs> I'm buckled up. I'm ready for this Rails roller coaster. So it is called Kamal, and that is spelled K-A-M-A-L. And what that means is the Kamal is one of the earliest navigational tools that use measuring altitude to determine latitude. The word Kamal means guide in Arabic. Makes sense. Totally makes sense. Here's the issue. Oh, not there an issue. Is, <laughs> there is a project called Kamal. So K-E, not A, M-A-L. And it is a longtime, fairly popular Sinatra-like web framework for Crystal. Sinatra-like web framework for Crystal. Because that makes it kind of close to us then in ways. It does. It does. Because I've always felt that Crystal is like the long lost sister of Ruby. Mike Parham was doing stuff in Crystal. I don't know, like people that love Crystal tend to be people that have Ruby experience. I've always felt that like Elixir, Ruby and Crystal were kind of like in the same hemisphere. So I am personally thrilled that the project changed names. However, as an experienced engineering manager at this point who just had to do a significant UI change to the main product that we work on. Not everyone's always going to be happy. Do you remember whenever Lotus was forced to change Shinami, which no. I argue is the superior name? But yeah, Lotus had to change because of a copyright issue as well, I believe. Oh, I want to say it was like IBM, but don't quote me on that. It was big. And so like they regretfully had to change from Lotus to Hanami. But I love the name Hanami. I just love it. It's a great name. And I, it is I, a great name. I have to say, naming things is hard. It never stops. Because yes. name collisions are real. Because like, imagine if Rails just created something called Node or NPM, but unrelated. Or if I created Gem and I'm like, yeah, this Gem is something that I use for this domain I'm working on. It's kind of like the base camp I start with for this. Like, so we call my Gem base camp. Yeah. All right. And it's like, oh, no, actually, there's a public company called Oh, crap. I mean, you ran into all that. By the way, on the Hanami thing, I never got to say during our last recording, got to properly chat for quite a long time with Tim Riley from that. We Brighton love Ruby. Tim Riley. Such and a huge fan. It was one of those things where I saw Tim Riley, but I'd never seen him in person. And I was like, I think that's Tim Riley. And so I'm like <laughs> looking at my phone at a dinner table, confirming, yeah, he is here. Yeah, that is him. Okay. And it's just like, Tim, you know, like, and then we actually, but it's so cool to just talk Konami with, yeah, Tim is such an, already had high regards to Tim and just, yeah, I always plug Konami whenever possible. And if the Bright Ruby thing goes up, I'm just doing a callback. Okay. But watch this talk. If you've never touched Konami, it's such a great and gentle introduction 
for people who maybe have never used it. And it's really fun. This episode is brought to you by FastRuby. Is your Rails version lagging behind, but the budget just isn't there for an upgrade? Try Bonsai by FastRuby.io. Whether your application is stuck in Rails 2.3 or you're ready to leap to 7.0, they have seen it all. With over 20,000 hours invested in upgrading applications, they've mastered the art of Rails upgrades. Start chipping away at $2,000 per month with Bonsai, a fixed cost monthly maintenance service by FastRuby.io. Contact experts at FastRuby.io today. Thank you to FastRuby for supporting the show. Going back to the name change, I think no matter what happens, someone's going to find an issue with it. So essentially renaming it to K-A-M-A-L is absolutely fine in print. It's very clear which project you're talking about. But the issue is if you're talking about Kamal and Kamal in the same sentence, it'll be confusing. Here's my thing, Nick. What sentence is that? (laughs) You know, like going alphabetically down the list of frameworks and libraries and things, would that sentence happen a lot? This is just how I'm becoming more and more like every new feature that we release at work. There's always some sort of edge case. People always want to use it a different way. And it's just you have to do things that benefit the majority of people. And in this case, it was forced because of a copyright issue. But you just have to make decisions because it is impossible to do things that are just going to be 100 percent right all the time. It is just it's too hard. Yeah. And I think this is an interesting place for that because I remember it's hard to avoid. And so I'm just thinking about Kamal Kamal right? Yeah. This problem. So one of the things you would have done if you had a really crappy high school band in like 2005 is you just Google that every name and make sure that no other band, because you're going to blow up and be really successful. Yeah. You don't want other people to have the same name. Yes. But even if you did, someone else would take your name and be like, you have my name, but it's not copyright because none of you are ever going to make any money or get any real gigs, but you still want your band names. And it can be really hard to do this. And also Kamal Kamal, I don't know how you'd figure that out unless you already knew because it's a different spelling and stuff like that, unless you knew how it, this is, I think we're getting closer to a place. I don't want to sound like a shill for this type of stuff. That may have been the kind of question, maybe not now in the next one to three years, if it was asked to an LLM that may have caught that be like, Hey, are there any names You'd have to have something that was recently updated. Are there any open source, because it's trained on that stuff, things that have a name or maybe are close to this? And you, and you give it a real, like, I'm talking to you. Like, your your brain is hooked into all knowledge neighbors. Hey, Brittany, I'm making a Ruby gem, and this is the domain it's in, and here's the name. Is there anything that might be close in name, close in community? Because it's not Googleable. And if you don't know, there's no way you could have known about Come on, come on, right? Yeah, but also, Nick, you on a past episode talked about how you came up with the name of Scarpe, which I absolutely love. I mean, you've not trademarked it. Anyone else is more than happy to use it. It'll make it confusing. But yeah, like what point is your project big enough that you have to be concerned about that kind of stuff is my question. Oh, it's great. Yeah. So we really, really tried to make Scarpe set it up so no one will ever make any money, never have success. And even when people compare us to some of the other very serious desktop projects, we're like, we're just a group of people in a room having fun. And that's kind of like our, if we had a one-liner, we're just a group of people in a room having fun. We're co-located, but you know what I mean. But yeah, I guess there would come a point, despite Nick's wishes, if something got 12,000 stars... And then say somebody against that switch has started making money off their desktop apps, which you could. I could literally give example of like 30 different things you could build and sell licenses to online and package up, right? 
Yeah. So there would be like a lawyer coming and say, this business is using this, but they need to know that this is protected and maybe whether it's the name or whatever. But there are things that are taken. So we have the joke about Scarpe DM sees the shoes. And there is literally a store in California called Scarpe DM. So (laughs) (laughs) everything's taken, Brittany. It's all taken. It is all taken. And that's why when I'm so impressed when a business essentially invents a word in order for it to become a thing, or they reuse a word that is just like very common we don't think about and they make it into a household name. Like I'm just very, very impressed with that. Yeah, because if you think about it, the name Ruby on Rails is, it's inventive and I love that it it can be shortened to Rails, but the amount of people that come into the subreddit who post about trains, I mean, they're clearly confused. (laughs) It's all very funny to me. We can go round and round about naming things. I find these kinds of discussions really interesting. The one thing I will say about the pull requests, my only critique of it is that the pull request was open. The project was changed with a reasoning, like why they chose that name, but never explained in the actual pull request why they were changing the name until somebody had to ask, which I thought was a little weird. I think you should always address that unless there's a legality thing there. I have no idea. But I do believe that pull request should be a lot more descriptive as to why you're making the thing, especially since it's a big public project. Yeah, I think that's really good feedback. I've not looked at it, but I think that's a nice thing to be able to do if you're changing a name. But is it like two people who are the active contributors and they're like, oh, no, so we we don't have to say anything. But I think I guess I could be better about this. I don't know how well used this project is. I'm curious. I can't remember from the agenda for Rails World if this project specifically, now I can say Kamal. I'm actually thrilled that I don't have to use the old name anymore. But I don't know how well Kamal was used in general because I feel like it came out one or two years ago. We've had a couple of people on the show talk about it, but I, in general, I don't know how well it's used. Don't think Shopify uses it, right, Nick? I unsure at that element of things. Yeah, I wouldn't be facing that bit. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's kind of tricky to put these things together. And I just had a look there. Yeah, so it redirects to Basecamp Kamal at the moment. Mm-hmm. If you try and type in MRSK. So I don't know if that'll be put back into like, was there a Rails MRSK at one point or was it base? Anyway. It's always been Basecamp. Oh, okay. Which is interesting, right? So like, is it part of the Rails ecosystem because it's Basecamp? I don't know. I'm not really sure on how that works. I'd say probably not, right? Because we have a lot of things yeah. that are Rails related, but if they're under our, or, but obviously I'll leave that to the, the core team. I think usage really interests me. Like I could do a whole episode on this. I'll do it in 20 seconds. My thing with Hotwire is I think it is having used it amazing. But my concern is the people who it's amazing for want to hide in the back end a lot and just do all their coding in the back end. And the yep. people who are great and excellent in front end already have their solutions and are unlikely to learn much else. So there's this world where I feel like Hotwire, I don't know what its usage is, but having used it, I'm like, oh my gosh, every back end person who sees the, the Hotwire way is like, that is so easy. It's like, you could do it in 10 lines if you want to configure lots of stuff. But if you write the Rails ways, you can do a lot of stuff in one line. And it's like, oh, wait, so this just updates now when something on the back end changes and I didn't have to write any JavaScript? Yes. I didn't have to write a stimulus controller? Yes. But yeah, so there's wonderful, wonderful tooling coming out in 2023. And it's, it'd be very interesting to know usage. Maybe Hotwire is, I don't know. I'm starting to see more of it, honestly. I'm starting to see people like put it in their LinkedIn. Hotwire, Senior Hotwire, or something like that. No, really? Yeah, I've seen it. Well, it's alongside Rails, 
But oh, like, I was yeah. saying, if someone's out there as a senior hotware engineer, tweet at me. Uh, <laughs> also, can I throw in, I know I've been going for a while, can I throw in a random, unrelated, non-sequitur treat into the podcast? Absolutely. So listeners, I've been doing a deep dive on an issue that I've thought about for a long time, and it was about the early, early days of the Ruby on Rails podcast and kind of linking it together. We actually, on the Ruby on Rails podcast website, have a lot of episodes going back a long time. It's really good. But there are some that aren't there. And so I kind of wanted to figure out where did this all start and where did we get to? And here's the information I have as of recording. The first episode was released on July 2005, which is crazy. I had just had 2009 or 2012 in my head for a long time. Who looks back at these things, right? Because all these pages are deleted and stuff like that. Episode one was DHH, unsurprisingly. But episode three for my work, which I thought was interesting, was Toby Lutke who was on the core team at the time. I, or he's actually talking about a different project, open source project and some other things. But yeah, 18 years ago with Toby. Anyway, so the couple little tidbits that I wanted to throw out for the listeners. First, I confirmed that it was the same podcast. Obviously, maybe it was called Ruby on Rails podcast and then this became it, but there wasn't a jump. But it seems that it was at podcast.rubyonrails.org up until about 2010, at which point... Somehow in that intervening year or so, it kind of seemed to have fewer episodes. And then, Brittany, it was five by five? Yep, yeah. five by five. That had it from around that year up till. Brittany, of course, has been our amazing host for, if I have it right, five years. Yep, you, almost five years. Almost five years. So if folks remember, there was a time where the episodes were a bit more infrequent. Faithful listeners were a little like going up. And then Brittany has just been absolutely, I would say this, I know you're here, dominating and really creating a rock solid podcast for this world. I'll pay you later, Nick. Yeah. So well, <laughs> I did confirm the link, right? Because some of our yeah. oldest podcasts were on the list of the archive.org podcast. I might talk with Brittany about something, see if there's a way to maybe make some of these ones that are literally on archive.org buried at a crazy URL available in some manner, or maybe I'll scrape them out, but we'll see. But some of the early episodes that we're talking, Jim Wyrick, Chad Fowler, Jameis Buck, Tom Fuchs, Robbie Russell, Dave Thomas, Obi Fernandez, who wrote The Railsway, bootlegs of concerts from Y. If you want to do archaeology like nostalgia, it's wild because there was kind of that 2005 era of podcasting where I remember listening to it. It was a really new thing. There is a bassist for a band I liked who did a podcast and and listening to it. But it does feel like in the 2015 to present that it's definitely exponentially grown and become such a mainstream thing. But 05 was just very early. So it was such a weird thing at the time, at least to me. And it's kind of cool. And going back and saying this podcast is 18 years old and it's been talking about Rails the whole time. And that is a really cool thing. And it's that uh, is really cool. Yeah, I'll have to link that episode up in the show notes. It is very cool how long this show has been around. And I so appreciate the list. I can't imagine there's any listener who has stuck around for 18 years, but you have. You're amazing. (laughs) Yeah, there is some really cool archaeology just with our own podcast, which is extremely cool. Yeah. And before the episode, I just threw one on just to make sure it was working. Listen to Jim Wyrick there. And the the audio quality is pretty good. So, I mean, for our pro listeners, if you don't want it to be served to you, if you go archive.org, type in podcast.ruby, 
rubyonrails.org, you'll see all the old links and you'll be able to click through. But there could be a way, you know, I think even- they're imported into our feed, Nick. I think they're all available on the Ruby on Rails podcast. Oh, is it? Maybe it's in a different order. Okay. Because if you go into the last page, it doesn't have the first episode, but that's fine. Okay, Okay. cool. I'll have to check into that. But let's wrap the episode by reminding the listeners that they need to get their shoes submissions in. So Nick, one more time, let's reiterate what they're going to be doing. Yep. So we just need you to uh, make a shoes app at all. Obviously, uh, we'll try and pick the best one, something that you enjoy making. You can talk to us on the Discord at joinscarpe.schwad.org. You can look at any of the Twitters for at SchwadRB or Brittany or the Ruby on Rails podcast for we'll be pending details about that and about where to enter your form. And the form will guide you with what you need to do with your link and obviously confirm you can go to Rails World and we'll follow up with you. Wonderful. Yeah, we'll be reviewing submissions. So it will close Saturday, September 4th. We'll quickly review submissions. And then that following week, we'll send an email out to the winner. So spin up those shoes apps. And Nick, always a pleasure to talk. Absolutely. Thanks, Brittany. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.